Hey everybody, welcome to the Teacher's Lounge, the JU Israel podcast where we fill you in on the news behind the headlines and basically keep you connected to Israel, even if you're not here right now, and some of you are. I'm co-host Michael Unterberg. I'm here with your other beloved co-host, Alan Goldman. How's it going, Alan? It's going pretty well, Mike. Uh, maybe we should just introduce ourselves. We're educators at Jerusalem U. Um, we work particularly in the Jerusalem U Israel Department, where our main job is to help Israel help uh, students uh, in gap year programs around Israel understand Israel and its place in the in the modern world. So we teach in over 20 gap year sco- uh, schools, and we also run a fellowship called Koratim for those who really want to work on their leadership and become leaders next year, wherever they'll be on campus in North America, in, in Europe, or even those staying in Israel. And the idea of the podcast is not only for students who are here in Israel now, but students who are not in Israel, or people who are curious like them to hear a perspective from people like us about what's going on in Israel. The podcast is still in its early, pretty experimental stage. We're kind of figuring it out as we go along, trying to improve it. Um, and if you like it, share it, let people know. And we would love to hear comments. You can uh, look us up on juisrael.jerusalemu.org um, at our website and send us some messages. That would be cool. And then we can see, you know, what you want to hear, what you don't want to hear, uh, and what you think uh, we should be really talking about. So today we have a few kind of uh, big topics. I'm not sure how much we're going to be able to get through in the time allotted. Basically today... Uh, we wanted to talk about a little bit of the, like, what do you want to call it, a furor, a hubbub, a mini-crisis over uh, politics. Yeah, over Obama's Obama. Facebook campaign. We wanted to Bibi's talk about... Facebook campaign. You said Obama, that's a very... So I leave that in or edit it out? Uh, that's a good question. We'll see. Mike will do decide. Do you know how many people I would have angered with that? Mike will decide. Well, if I'm not ending the track, I'm leaving it in. So, <laughs> uh, But BB's Facebook campaign... Uh, we want to talk a little bit about the U.S. arms deal, the U.S. aid deal, I guess I should call it to be more politically savvy. And we wanted to talk about the recent uptick in violence right? that's been happening mostly in Hebron, but uh, in the West Bank in general. In Jerusalem. Yeah. So where do you want to start, Alan? I guess let's start with Bibi's Facebook campaign. Bibi's Facebook campaign. Maybe you should just uh, say a few words, Mike, about what, what we've been talking about. Exactly. So I've noticed it actually before it became a bit of before it gained international notoriety, and I didn't realize it was for Facebook. But uh, Bibi Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, is recording these two-minute Facebook videos, fireside chats. Yeah, they kind of roll up in your newsfeed. They're subtitled, even though they're in English, because on your Facebook feed you don't always turn stop and turn up the volume, but you can read what he's talking about. And they're these little sort of. Um, what would you call them? Israel advocacy, public Be- service announcements. Yeah, Bibi's yeah. message. Yeah, Bibi's week. I don't know if it's weekly, but Bibi's. No, it uh, seemed it seemed sporadic, a random yeah. uh, message that he wants to get straight out to the world, not via the traditional media. Right, he's jumping over the media to speak directly to English speakers around the world, which is said, a lot of people. Much, yeah, 
Which and basically, as we said, the, the fireside chat that United States presidents would use when they have the well, yeah, FDR, FDR, but yeah, in because Africa, because anyone listening to this podcast in college remembers well those fireside chats that helped America through the Depression and no, World but War other II. Other presidents do it too. Other presidents have uh, uh, almost uh, all presidents. Yeah, Obama some kind of radio or yeah, they went from radio and now it's. Uh, I honestly don't know who listens to them. Right, like, and oh, I mean this seriously. Like, who? My who, guess is, first of all, the media picks it up. Unless they, do, it, you know? these, th- this is a format that since FDR, I think, in the United States has been pretty much de rigueur. Like, you just have to do it. Unless you say something radical, it's not going to hit the journalist's right. radar. And so they don't say anything radical, and it just becomes a part of the week for... And that's where BB is different. So BB's doing something different. That's why it's a little bit different than the fireside chat. He's saying, some. I don't know what happened. My guess is... He or his team said, look, you're very good at this. When you get on the news, you're very good at two to three minute blurbs, sound bites. Well, we know that from when he was ambassador. Oh, my in gosh. The 90s. In the 80s, even. The 90s. I remember when I was in high school. Yeah. Americans to this day, Israelis, American Jews find it difficult to understand why BB isn't super popular in Israel. Yeah. A, because he's been prime minister longer than any other prime minister, so that's surprising that he's unpopular. And B, in America, everybody of a certain age loves B.B. because we remember him in particular on Nightline with Ted Koppel again. Especially in 1991. 1991 was during the Gulf War, and he was on CNN. And he put his gas mask on in the middle of the the interview because there was uh, an attack. From Saddam Hussein in Scud missiles. So that was his. Yeah. Look, you you do a YouTube search for him. He he is. He's very, very good at this. And we'll try to unpack maybe at some point in the future his role as a politician and its complicated relationship to the Israeli voting public. But back to our our topic that we're talking about. Somebody said this new media guy. Yeah, the media is in our hands. Why are we waiting for Fox or CNN interviews? he, He made a shift. He brought in a young social media expert to run his media over the traditional right. media personality. And I guess they said, listen, this is where people are today. If you want to talk to the millennials, right. this is how you got to do it. Right. Uh, Obama went to Zach Galifianakis, and yeah. Netanyahu went to uh, Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think it more or less works. I mean, they popped up on my newsfeed quite a bit. Sure. I didn't find them particularly enlightening, but, but basically well done. His most yeah. recent one, however. Anybody who follows BB, their standard BB, yeah. you know. Talking points. Talking points. Okay. I does it well. I didn't essentially disagree with them. I thought he, I kind of agreed with most of them. Yeah. Yeah, some of them. Some, some of them, yeah, some of them, no. Some of them are a little bit more provocative. There were more provocative ones. Well, yeah. So well, that's, that's, a, that's an interesting question about BB's rhetoric. When he talks, when he sh- when he draws a picture of a Bugs Bunny cartoon bomb in the rostrum of the UN, yeah. is he trying to convince or provoke? And 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 when he provokes, the people who agree with him, the people on the right who build his power in the Israeli government, love it because they feel now they're they've vented their frustration, their voice has been heard. If his goal is to convince people who disagree with him. I've always questioned whether his tactics are. I think his main, and uh, I don't know if this, you know, I just think his main position in the modern world is any news is good news, and the worst thing is silence. 
Well, so he certainly got everyone speaking when he exactly. said, why are people accusing Israel of ethnic cleansing? If the Palestinians say in a two-state solution, Jews cannot live in what would then be a state of Palestine in the West Bank and Gaza, it is the Palestinians who are demanding the ethnic cleansing of Jews from their ancestral home. We have 1.7 million Arab citizens. I'm sure many of you have heard the claim that Jewish communities in Judea Samaria, the West Bank, are an obstacle to peace. I've always been perplexed by this notion. Because no one would seriously claim that the nearly 2 million Arabs living inside Israel, that they're an obstacle to peace. That's because they aren't. On the contrary, Israel's diversity shows its openness and readiness for peace. Yet the Palestinian leadership actually demands a Palestinian state with one precondition. No Jews. There's a phrase for that. It's called ethnic cleansing. And this demand is outrageous. It's even more outrageous that the world doesn't find this outrageous. So I don't think anyone really could argue with the essence of his point that it is. It's not ethnic cleansing. That's exactly. It was the it, language. It's the language. The ethnic cleansing is a clear, is a clear uh, semantic um, definition that has to do with within the world of genocide, if not total genocide. Now, Israel's and, accused of ethnic cleansing uh, all the time. Correct. Right? 750,000 Palestinians right. but, left. But having a political agreement and moving people out of a state and having an area there was no Jews, now one could argue whether that's really appropriate in the modern world. But it's not ethnic cleansing. Ethnic right. cleansing is putting people in the camps and killing them and... You know, that's or driving the, the them term, out of mouth. The term came up mass. in Yugoslavia in, in, right. in, the, in the civil war there. And uh, Well, I, I, okay, so I'm not defending the use of ethnic cleansing. We're obviously. on the same side. But I will say this, that mass transfer of people against their will is a form of ethnic cleansing. In other words, the trail of tears, forcing, it is. Okay. You, you destroy. But even if it is, that, that still is not under political agreement. Whatever we're talking about. It's not under political agreement. It's also not sending Jews to Israel. Exactly. Which doesn't. Exactly. Yeah, it's not, and, and that's why. And and I personally, during the the withdrawal from Gaza, which I did not support, but I was very, very against the the, the hyperbolic language that was used comparing to the Holocaust and those kinds of things. Because we have to have to keep perspective when we're talking about political agreements that legitimate governments make. Um, and yes, it may be terrible for certain individuals and in how it's affected them, but. Well, I think okay. we both feel that it's more important if you're trying to explain these issues to people, that light is more important than heat. Correct. That generating That's heat nice. doesn't necessarily generate light. And by using the term ethnic cleansing, he's distracting from what is essentially a, a powerful point. Other countries in right. conflict that have drawn up borders in order to settle their disputes have either had, I mean, India, Pakistan was a disaster. People rushing across both sides of the borders. And at the end of yeah. the day, there are Hindus on the Paki side, and there's Pakistanis, right. there's Muslims on the India side. In other words, these are messy, messy things. The Palestinian, with uh, Cambodia and Vietnam, ethnic uh, Vietnamese ended up still on the Cambodian right. side. This is not, Israel and, and the Palestinians are not the first people to have a border dispute. Right. And it is not normal to say the only possible way to solve the dispute is to make sure one group ends up all on one side. So his argument is a strong argument to be made about understanding the cultural mindset of Palestinian leadership and why it's difficult to come to solutions with them. But instead of arguing them articulately in a way that generates 
in, in a, a light that clarifies. He's generating the heat that draws condemnation from uh, everyone from Ban Ki Moon. And now I'll, I'll, I'll not defend, but I think I will explain where, what I think he was actually doing, what his media people do. And that is that nobody would be talking about this if he hadn't used that language. Meaning, he wants the point talked about. No, if he just talks about people like this, not fair, this and that, if he doesn't throw in some kind of... Uh, well, uh, unfortunately, the, the, way new, the way journalism seems to be working in, as we speak at this time is, who's saying something super offensive that exactly. we could dissect? Exactly. So when Trump says Obama and Hillary created ISIS, that gets headlines. And, and, then, and then you get the dissection. And then people say, ah, I get the argument he's making, blah, 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 blah. Exactly. When Hillary says basket of deplorables... What the hell's a basket of deplorable? <laughs> it's a crazy phrase. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah. but but people <laughs> who agree. came up with it? She's like make that. I don't know. Anyway. I don't know. <laughs> but but people then say, well, obviously that's an inappropriate way to talk, and everyone condemns it and says, but if you look at but now polls, let's talk about actually the issue, right? And that's what he's doing. Saying he's getting people to talk about the issue, and the only people people stand up and talk about the issue is by saying this is not ethnic cleansing because ethnic cleansing is exactly what we just said now is X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Oh, but it still means that Jews are not going to be allowed to right. Palestine. Hey, right. and then that brings people to question. The case you are making is that the only way public officials in 2016 can make serious points is to make a soundbite that trolls, gets everyone's hackles raised, and then have the pundits take it and analyze it. A step further. And basically that's what you I, argued for before when you said nobody listens to the, to the president's because they're not saying anything. Exactly. Yes. So. I, I, I don't know. Well, I guess I don't think that's a good solution because I don't think in the ensuing brouhaha that, that light gets shed on the subject, really. Everyone from their corner expresses either outrage or defensiveness. We are, we are living in a dark age of political discourse, I think. Oh, I mean, that's clear in the... Yeah. In, in both Israeli elections last year, for sure, right, and and actually one of his, YouTube, in one of his videos dealt with that whole thing because yeah. of his oh my uh, goodness comments about the Arabs and the can you you know clarify what in the last election um, during election day, Bibi uh, got up on uh, I don't know if it was on Facebook or something like that also uh, yeah and said Jews get out and vote because the Arabs are going in droves and and that was clearly a very problematic um, announcement. Um, and I guess you could say it would be similar to a politician in the West saying white people get to the polls because I see a lot black people are coming out in droves yeah. to vote, so white people get to those polls fast. Right. So, in fact, one of these videos he put out kind of tried to apologize for that. He did, um, after the election. Yeah. yeah, after the election he apologized for it, and then the, in the video... And he, he went to visit and speak it out, yeah. Uh, all they're trying to do for the Arab Arab yeah. uh, community in Israel and what have you, but that's uh, uh, again, it's the. Uh, I'm not saying you can blame Netanyahu. It's the political discourse that's like you find it, in America. What's happening now? Yeah. The political discourse is one of extremism, yeah. and it's hard to blame. Not about the, depth of, of issues. It's not about issues. No, no so issues my issue is, well. it's hard for me then to blame the participants. In other words, if Netanyahu wants to get his word out. Or if Trump or Hillary want to get their word out, or... Well, you see, Trump has... did fantastic in the Republican program. My question they is, got him there. can't so, leaders, okay. real leaders, who's, change the level of... So who's responsible, the public or the leaders? Yeah, I don't know. It's a... It's a come on, let's be honest. It's a, who it's ran a against... Who ran against... It's a relationship, you know, it's... Who ran against uh, Eisenhower? 
Was it Wallace? I think it was Wallace. But Eisenhower started running TV ads. Eisenhower, yeah, Wallace. I think it was Wallace. So they brought, they brought, they said Eisenhower. No, Eisenhower was there. Was it Stevenson? You're right. I think it was Stevenson. This is not an important part of the podcast, so we're going to end it. And you will write your comments correcting us on who it was. I'm pretty sure Alan's right. You have a better memory than me also. But uh, they brought, they told him Eisenhower's hired a TV advertising firm to run spots. And Stevenson said, you want Americans to pick their president the way they pick their laundry detergent? And he wouldn't allow them to make TV ads. Well, I, I had a, a friend of ours who used to be a gunman, an old friend, I think, said um, she was she was appalled because parents spend more time picking out their shoes than they do picking out the gun their kids are going to go to. Oh, I hope that's cynical. <laughs> I don't know. All right, well, that's our sort of analysis. I guess you could call it analysis. We analyzed a little. Yeah, discussion. Maybe we're not the smartest people in the world, but a little bit we think. So that's what we uh, think about that issue. Um, I think we should move now to talk about the recent spate of stabbings around the West Bank and what that indicates and what it doesn't indicate. What do you think, Alan? Good question. Um, it indicates that it's actually never really gone. You know, we may get a few weeks of quiet, either a few months of quiet, quieter time. Um, not usually really a few months, but... Why do you think it's popping up now? What happened over the last... Um, I think there is, uh, first of all, a resurgence as the beginning of the year starts. Mm-hmm. I think there's it really the there's a year? summer lull. There's yeah. a summer lull. Vacation. There's also vacation. usually a winter lull when it's raining. <laughs> That's true too. It really is true. Yeah, there's cold, very little. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But a summer lull. Look, people are on vacation. Quite honestly, people are on vacation. Everybody is. You know, you go everywhere around Israel. You've got Arab families, Jewish families, Druzy families. You go to a Maslul in the in the in the north. And there's all of Am Yisrael in the same river, you know. Well, that's true. And, but but and Arabs in the Galil uh, are not the ones stabbing people in Chabad. No, but I'm just saying there's a summer lull that everybody's out. And when everybody's right. out, everybody's out, and everybody's kind of like on vacation. And you're you're now back into, back into the beginning of the year, and people start, um, you know, start their year again. And some of those people are those who are questioning, and and many of them we know are are not necessarily stable. Right. Um, in the sense, uh, in terms of these, these and when I'm talking about the lone wolves, you're not talking about organized cells. So you can't, you're not talking about people who are living stable lives. Do you think this um, has anything to do with uh, the end of the of a, of a major Muslim holiday season and being before a major Jewish holiday season? Yeah. So, uh, as you, you know, that's certainly what people are talking about. I don't think anybody really knows why or when no, these trends uh, spike. But first of all, one thing we have to remember is that they never really, even when we don't hear about them, there are always things going on. Yeah. If you if you look the news very very closely, especially the news in Israel, you'll see oh today someone was stopped at a at a, at a border patrol with a knife, right. um, or this person was or, or there was a or there was a stoning here or there. Or it doesn't make the news. And, and it doesn't or it doesn't make the news because we know the, the the general rule in the news is if it leads it leads. So if nobody's hurt. If no attack was actually carried out, they stopped it before it happens, you most locally, likely won't hear about it. And then what happens is then one is successful and it gives motivation for others to start jumping on that bandwagon. And so then you have a spike uh, usually. But I think in the real – I wish I could give us a very 
um, intense, uh, long evaluation of why it's happening now, but nobody really can. Nobody really knows why it spikes when it does. So Unless you're really connected to holiday season, right? Because we're really, we're still a few, a couple weeks before yeah. uh, Pesach. But I think, but, you know, this has been enough, a little bit of enough technical. I think maybe you should talk, Mike, a little bit about how it felt like to get a an SMS. Was it an SMS at home or a warning that you had to because stay in your house? Because it a frat, you mean? Because in a frat, I mean... I got to tell you. I, well, I first, let's explain what happened. Well, there was there was a terrorist who got into my city, a frat, and uh, on Sunday morning, right? Sunday mo- or early Sunday morning, and uh, security forces caught him on video and sent out a team to intercept him. He uh, managed to I don't know if you can call one person an ambush, but he hid and then came out of hiding to stab one of the soldiers, who I think. Is Baruch Hashem going to be okay? He stabbed in the stomach, but... He was a reserve officer. Yeah, and the uh, the terrorist was neutralized and arrested. So, uh, yeah, but you're, you're being very technical. What does it feel like? I mean, you're... you're, you're I, I have a problem mentally. I'll be honest with you. I, 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 maybe it's because I grew up in New York and people would say, oh, New York is so full of crime. Statistically, you don't interact that much with crime. Yeah, but you, how did you find out about this attack? It was on my phone. You got an SMS on your phone yeah. to stay in your house. Yeah. You're not allowed to leave. Yeah, it's annoying. Because there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a. Sp- yeah, I know about Ghana. What? I know about Ghana. Okay. I, 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 I have trouble not being calm about these things, and maybe that's me, because I just think. And then you know, within X number of minutes, don't worry, everyone can go out now. Right. By the way, after they got him, they kept up that because they wanted to make sure he didn't have accomplices. So it's they caught him very quickly, and right. then not long after that, they were confident that that was the end of that. I, I, it's listen. How, I, you, how were your kids? I mean, you got kids at home. My kids were out of the house already. They were on their way to school. So, so did that feeling like you don't think about well, where's my kid right now? What's happening? Or I got to tell you, you're asking me personally. I'm not speaking on behalf of the citizens of the frat or the citizens of. No, I'm asking you personally. No, that's so interesting. That's so interesting. I don't, I don't know if it's because look, when uh, when the second intifada hit, second intifada, I felt it, it. You felt it more. I didn't live here, but when I would visit during the second intifada, and I did, and unfortunately, you were and my aunt was murdered. So one of my visits, unfortunately, was for her shiva. My aunt was murdered driving on the road from Ephrat to Jerusalem. A car drove by and shot her. Sarah Boston. So that that I felt like every corner, every turn on the road, every right. and and listen, the whole country was under assault. There was hundreds of right. people so, per and, year, Jews, mostly Jews, but Arabs and yeah. other ethnicities. I mean, we were under. It was a major. Yeah, there were a thousand, a thousand of Israelis of all um, of all uh, ages, ages, um, adult. Uh, Groups, communities, communities yeah. from uh, ethnicities, religions, Tel Aviv, Jerusalem, uh, I mean, uh, right? Uh, we were killed, and in that time, it was very. That's when cell phones had just come to the market, and everybody got one because whenever right. there was an attack, you called everybody you knew. But Look, that, when of my course, uncle, of course, it took fifteen minutes or to an hour because all the lines would crash. Right, everybody was using the right. Here's where I am. Right. Yeah, and my my uncle gave me a. I wore a bulletproof vest when we drove. Like it was. Right. No, that was really. So really how's scary. this different? So how's this different? I also feel this is technical. I hate talking about tragedy as if, uh, but but just to to get, I mean, every tragedy is horrible, and, and you know, thank God the guy's going to be okay. But I don't know. Will his, will his 
how well will he digest? I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's probably impacting for life, physically, psychologically. It's not a joke. But if you're asking me, this and this really started last year. This this trickle of stabbings and rammings. It, it's 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 not a full scale terror wave. It's. I don't want to sound. Anything I say is going to sound silly. I, it's like a mini intifada. I don't know. Well, it's what it is. Is what is, and I think that what is when when it and when it does spike. And this time it seems to be people are a little bit less reacting. I feel maybe I feel like yeah, for a sure. Less also, but the, the because we're really talking about nothing that seems really organized, right? Um, and it's really violence, which is um, you, you household objects, yeah, <laughs> screwdrivers, right, uh, meat cleavers. Knives and cars. I'll tell you the other maybe more simple. They're almost all in Hebron. Right. Well, well that's, I exceptions. think that's part of it. So a lot of them are Hebron now. You have a few, God forbid, there'll be a few more in Jerusalem and it'll start getting people. Right. Coming. So people who. And then, but what that also, I think, is also symptomatic of where the relation, where the Palestinian people are today and where they were 15 years ago. I think that they were a much more cohesive, organized community 15 years ago. And I think today, they're, they're at least certainly talking about West Bank is there's much more dissonance. There's much more um, fractional fractionalization in Palestinian society itself. Um, yeah, but has that filtered down to terror cells? Be, because they're not terror cells. Because they're not organized. There must be terror because cells. Because we know there are terror cells. There are ter- yeah, but they're not the same way as they were in Second Intifada. No. Where there were some drive-by shootings. Last and by year. the way, the by shootings. By the way, the big the big difference is here, of course, is the Palestinian security services, uh-huh. which are working very closely with Sahal to keep to keep it down. That's the big thing. But that but that shows you the fractionalization of of Palestinian society. Because on one hand, you have the security services working very much to keep this under wraps. The government that is the Palestinian Authority. Which is very uh, rhetorically, at least, extremely um, encouraging of what's going on, and the Palestinian society themselves that are there's most are trying to like make it through a day and make a living and keep their heads down, and then you have those who are. It's um, interesting uh, on Palestinian opinion polls. There's there's interesting mixed opinions on whether this type of thing is valuable or effective. Yeah, but the majority are saying the majority. No. I don't know. Last year. Last, We'll look at the poll. But yeah. last year, the majority said that rockets from Gaza were counterproductive, right. but stabbings and rammings, it's at least a split, but I think the majority said... So we'll put that poll up. You'll put it. You'll link, yeah, it. We'll you'll link to that poll. Yeah. If you can put it together. Yeah. It's, it's, also, it's also the question of, do we think of terrorism as a form of warfare or a form of crime or as a third category? We end, we end up talking about it often as war. Yeah. It's often handled by the military. And this is probably a bigger topic for a future podcast. This is our pet right. <laughs> topic. We, that we, we like think to it's a third about. category, and it has it's, elements of both. And it's changed. The world has changed. And we, we part, part, partially base our, our also understanding on the, on the editor's roundtable yeah, podcast on foreign policy that um, every so often talk about this topic where – it's, you know, we're in a different world. We're in a postmodern world. And the world doesn't just change technologically and intellectually, but it's also changing how (laughs) we violently work out, you know, issues. We're no longer two states 
you know, drawing a line and saying, okay, let's fight from the trenches, both of these. We're now... Well, in particular, the Middle East is a, is no a clash of who knows how many different forms of militias. There are no states... Some states sponsored, some not states but the, sponsored. But there are no states that are, that are, that are um, fighting against one another. Other than proxy battles in Yemen or... Yeah, no, so that you have states sponsoring terrorist uh-huh. groups fighting in places, but you don't have the two states themselves. Maybe the last one was, uh, you know... Iran-Iraq. Iran-Iraq. Too local. Not yeah. talking about the... It's interesting because I, I often think of all the chaos going now in the Middle East as like a 30 years war that Europe went through yeah, where sure. religious and ethnic conflicts are just sure. bubbling one after the other yeah. leading to... But what you just said well, makes me... It's a 100 years war, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, you know, the, the, the Christian world went through it. Yeah, then, so and how we're going to look at it. Right. Right. But uh, what you just said made me think of uh, actually the 20th century Cold War, where two yeah. superpowers never directly went head to head, just fought a bunch of uh, proxy skirmishes around the globe in different places, including the Middle East. And that was a, a 50, a 40, a 45 year war. I don't know. 1945 to 1989. Well, that's pretty short. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, uh, well, I guess we can. Sorry, I'm not trying to. Yeah. You look like I just uh, made you a little bit depressed. A little bit. I wasn't trying to. I'm just. No, no, I'm an optimistic fellow. Yeah. But, uh, More than me, probably. Yeah. Probably, possibly. Yeah. But, but uh, look, this is terrorism, unfortunately, and this kind of political ethnic violence is not something that we necessarily should think about going away. We should do a future episode on how is terrorism a third category. And in this, I do think it is similar to crime. Not in terms of necessarily techniques of how you respond or not, but but in terms of the fact that it's like, it, you cannot turn off. You can't solve this. You can manage it and decrease it. By the way, one of the things that we look at, sorry, if we, is that the terror, you know, terrorism began the First World War basically, mm-hmm. an assassination, right, uh, for the beginning of the First World War. But then it's states then responding to this act right. of terror, right. whereas now, even when states respond, I mean, I guess that's what happens in Afghanistan. When the United States invaded Afghanistan because of 9-11. Yeah. So it's very confusing. I don't, I don't know if there's a... Well, there's plenty of homework for historians to do in the yeah. future and uh, plenty of grist for the Mill of Future podcast. Yeah. You can let us know what you think. If you're in Israel and you want to talk about the violence or uh, I, w- I would be very interested in hearing from alumni who were here last year about what it was like to go through a time of violence. I know that had a strong impact on a lot of you, um, especially since an American student was killed last yeah. year. Um, so I hope this year doesn't end up like that. Let's just say it should be a new year of health for everyone. Um, But please send us whatever comments or questions you have. And now to wrap up, just some brief thoughts, I think, on the U.S. arms deal. This (laughs) enormous... It's just like, you know, politics is politics. Everybody with their agenda spins it the way they want to spin it. So the first spin was the government and the two governments, Obama administration and the Netanyahu administration. The biggest... What is the deal? Oh, sorry. Thank you. The deal that Israel now signed a deal with the United States. The United States will provide military um, uh, support. I guess what do you call it? Military aid. Sorry, military aid um, uh, for ten years to Israel at a total of thirty-eight billion dollars, about three point eight billion a year. 
um, a large percentage of which has to be spent on buying uh, American products. Correct. So, so the, 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 then come the spin doctors. Uh, first, there's the government spin doctors, the United States and uh, Israel, of, about how this is the biggest um, aid package ever signed in American history and how great it is for Israel. Um, da, da, da. And then, of course, the other side has to push back. What are you talking about? The first first launch was he could have gotten more. Exactly. That was such a he should have gotten a much better. That's so Jewish. That's so Jewish. Oh, uh, I would have gotten better if I had been there. If I had been the one bargaining, I would have gotten better. The food here is terrible. Yeah. Yes, in such small portions. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, you know, they get the, uh, and then the the analysts jump in and the pundits who start analyzing the deal, and of course the politicians who are trying to make their next stab at. At being the uh, the political uh, you know jump, um, start talking about how actually it's less than we used to get because if you if you if you realize uh, how it's broken down and as Mike said about how we have to um, actually buy from America the products where that will decreases the amount that could be supplied by Israel which was partly before so you start getting into all the uh, analysis of it about how this is actually the worst deal ever <laughs> you know they get down to like now, this is the worst deal that's ever that's jewish right and that is the ultimate right. you know jewish right. but look i think I, you know if if you look at the big picture you know we you and i uh, and maybe i got this from you like you drummed it into me um, i think i i think i had it subconsciously but you made it explicit let's look at the big idea you know, the big idea. What's the big idea here? The big idea is it, give or take $100,000. Give or take how it's going to affect the different markets a few little bit. A few million here, a few million there. It yeah. starts to add up. Yeah. You know, like Israel just signed a $38 billion agreement with American military aid. With everybody talking about how bad relationships are between America and Israel, that is a well, it is. It's, it's, it's a diplomatic low point in the relationship between Israel and America. And yet we sign, and that, that's true. Yeah. The prime minister and the president do not get along. They don't get along, right? But, but yet we sign a major, major deal. I mean, well, it can't. That it, has to do with the fact that it is absolutely in Israel's interest to work very closely with the United States, and it is very correct. much in the United States' interest to work very closely with. Correct, Israel. and that's never, and that's at least not going to change in the short term, and hopefully it will never change. But no way, so, no. Right, I'm saying in the short term, at least we know it's not going to change. It wasn't always the just, case. Just saying, sign a deal for 10 yeah. years. Not till the 70s, really, did this relationship. 67's a change. Yeah, it started to change. Yeah, 67 is the is the language. Up until 67, it's really France. Yeah, Israel Israel fights the Six-Day War with French weapons. And for the Air Force, the Air Force is, the Air, Air, Israel's Air Force Phantom. and and nuclear and nuclear industry Shh. is founded by the French. No, that, that we get from the French. No, yes, no, I know. No. I will neither confirm no. nor deny no, that Israel has. We deny that we have nuclear yeah, energy. Arms, we know. That we yeah, know yeah, yeah, we have nuclear yeah, energy. Yeah, yeah. So, but even though prime ministers have admitted we have nuclear arms. Yeah, somebody Edinburgh, just admitted. Uh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, we should Hundreds. offer him a foolish lame uh, to, to Shimon Peres, who had a stroke. Uh, yeah, who this week? Who was the architect of Israel's air force and nuclear weapons with France, with France. in the sixties? Yes, he's quite a Francophile. Yeah. And we wish him a refuah The reports are that he's doing actually 
as well as you could expect. From a 93-year-old man who had tough. a heart attack six months ago yep. and now has stroke. It's amazing. Yeah. Guy's amazing. He's the last of the founding fathers. Agree with him, disagree with him, like his politics, don't like his politics. He's from that generation. And he shaped Israel in many different ways. Yes. Although not militarily. He wasn't part of the military. He did because of the Air Force and Nahum, the weapons. He himself wasn't. A lot of these guys, a lot of that generation come to leadership through their military experience. He's the only experience. one who doesn't. But his is through, except, yeah. Except that was Begin. the only point I was making. Begin. Begin was the head of a militia. He, exactly. So Begin is complicated like that. Yeah. But, but he was the only real labor, like high-level labor person who didn't have um, active service. Cause right. It was actually because Ben-Gurion told him not to. Ben-Gurion right. wanted him in the, in the government. He didn't want him in the military. Right. So we wish him well. Yeah. Uh, the aid deal, like you say, I think, I think it's just a sign of the times. Although, in your favorite uh, news, uh, what's that called? The, 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 email? the skim? The skim. The skim indicated that it was probably America's way of kissing up to Israel after the Iran deal. Right. So it's again, it's your... Which I feel that's a very strange spin. In other words, that, that year's aid deal, which was $4 billion after the Iran deal, Israel got $4 billion in last year. For a one time, because they for added one on, time. because they, they added, added on things. That, that's the big to say that that now. was a we're we're thanking you. You know, we're trying to make up after the Iran deal. That well, I hear. That's how but a ten year, a ten year, thirty eight billion dollar deal has very little to do with the Obama administration kissing up to the Netanyahu administration. I mean, that's I people who work in the government. Seem, it doesn't seem like. I mean, a lot of people are spinning like that. They're talking about that. They're all spinning like that because they're looking through well, that narrow lens when people. When people and militaries in both countries make a deal like this, it's because they're looking far ahead. They're not thinking politically about the next two years. Where did I just? I don't know if I heard it on Israeli radio this morning or on oh, no. on, a, on a, an American radio podcast or something like that. But, Alan is very old. But um, this morning, the uh, I, I, someone exactly said is that the military is the only institution that thinks long term strategically. Yeah. Like in the in the country that nobody really thinks long term strategically except military. Well, so that's exactly the point. The militaries can get together. Right. It doesn't have to do with the politicians. Is it because they think what politicians is, come and go, right. and they think in you election know, cycles, right. not in twenty years. But down what the are line. we going to need ten years down the line? So you could make the argument because the whole Iran thing is right. for ten years. The right. Iran agreement so parallels a little. I bit. understand where the argument's but, coming from, but it seems very uh, strange to I, me. Yeah, it doesn't. I, it doesn't. I, I don't buy it. Right. And it could be that's my bias. My bias is that the relationship is based on common interests, not based on good diplomacy. I think there's a well, responsibility that, yeah. for good diplomacy. I, I think but on you both know, sides. You know why? I think because I think we in Israel, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm assessing this wrong from your side, but we in Israel often think of it on the Netanyahu side. Oh, he's, he's angering, he's, he's angering Obama, he's pissing off the government there. Look how terrible he's making it. But there's also those concerns on the other side. Because you know uh, the 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 Democrats are afraid. Oh, we're like too harsh on Israel. Like right. it, it is also a political chip. I mean, Israel's always part of an election right. cycle, no matter what, right? It, it, you know, more or less, but it's always there. Right. Um, and people, I doubt people in America are really seriously considering voting for this or that party based on their policy in Sudan. Right. Um, so it does. And how much are they thinking about it. Israel? I don't. I don't no, know. I'm saying it, it, it's there. At least it's there. At least people. Look, I also know. think that if you're That's up in like arms that. about three point eight billion dollars, which is like a percentage of a percentage of one percent of America's annual budget, yeah, 
I mean, it's bupkis. So if you're really up in arms about how much Amer in American politics about how much America is spending on Israel, in particular, or foreign aid in general, then I think you have other agendas. I don't think that's a reasonable right. American I agree, though Israel does get a disproportionate amount of of foreign aid. The military aid is which is all together. If you take all the foreign aid as a bundle, it's um. I forgot. We'll look it up. And hopefully, we'll right. find a link. No, but to put the, look, at the end of the day, it goes back to exactly what you said. Israel is a strategic partner of America. Okay, let's write that down. Israel. Alan said, Israel. "The truth is exactly what Michael said." Exactly. Israel is a strategic partner. I mean, look where you, if you look at the map. We talk about this in the class. You got to know the map. Israel's got ports. It's a gateway to the Middle East. It's a stable country. Look what's happening all over the Middle East. Well, partially, though, that blows back in our face because then yeah. all of our neighbors in the neighborhood look at us and say, oh, Israel is the West's outpost exactly. in our region. It's not a native. They don't belong here. Yeah. And we say, yes, we do. And we, are, we brag about being an outpost of the West, which yeah. is not – which is, I think, counterproductive. We should not see ourselves – we should see ourselves as allies with shared interests around well, the world. Now you're going back to the editorial of the, the op-ed of the, of the forward a couple weeks ago that a student wrote. Oh, yes. We should provide a link to that. Uh, I thought he uh, made his argument very that, well. That actually argued exactly that. that we'll we, put a link to that. We, put, uh, we, we, we are hurting ourselves by making ourselves an out, outpost to the West. Yeah. I don't know. I, don't, I think he went too far. I thought, you know, I mean, every single Arab country is also panders to the West and wants to get uh, foreign support. So, like, why shouldn't we? Being a, no? being a quote-unquote developing nation that's pandering to a superpower is not the same as being the superpower's proxy in the region. It's different. I think. I think it's politically uh, I think that that's how people. I think that that's how people view it. It's a perception. It's a perception, but I don't Correct. think it's true that we're a proxy of the. I, I think we have don't a strategic reason. I and agree by with the way, you. part of that, as you see, is Israel. Uh, this is, by, by the way, I think may have influenced also the deal is uh, the amount of times that Netanyahu has met with Putin over the last year. Yeah, uh, 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 four times at least. Yeah. Four times at least. Now there's a lot of things going on. Russia has become a major power again in the area, but Israel's starting to talk to Russia like because that's the reality of who, who we are. Yes, we have a better economy than most other other countries in our region, but the reality well, the is the state was founded. We were talking about how France was yeah. our ally through '67. Yeah. Uh, the Soviet bloc was our ally in '48 that helped us. A country win of eight million people. That's all we are. We're less than nine million people. We have less people in Israel than New York City. Right. Cannot. Can cannot not have a major power helping us, right? And anybody who claims the opposite is think is living in a in a why would a, we want to? Dream world, dream we, the idea is to be a normal nation state in the world, not to be a pariah nation state that goes on its own. Even right. though as Jews we've been trained to feel pariah, I know, pariah yeah, status. Yeah, yeah. But the but the dream of Zionism is that when the Jewish people in total live here, that will be a form of normalization. Right. Well, we're getting there with 40%. Uh, I think it's over 40 The The, the country okay. with the most Jews in the world is Israel, Israel but, but it's, it's still not the majority. I think and it's, it's 40% of the world's Jewish. Something like that. And it's certainly not the vast majority. I don't know that the thesis that Israel, that the idea of Zionism of Jews making a normal nation state, I don't know that that thesis can be tested until the vast majority of the world's Jews live in Israel. Right. Because there is no other nation that has 60% of its population living in the diaspora. 
there are plenty of nations with people in the diaspora. Uh, I don't think 60%. That's unparalleled. I don't know. I, think, I, think, I don't know. Well, let us know. If you yeah. want to do some extra homework and make us seem smarter by sending us your... I'm just trying to think about yeah, the, the, the sweat of your brow and hard work and do the research. Crunch those numbers for us. Um, and please, like we say, please stay in touch with us. Let us know if you like our new... What do you call this? A stinger or a bumper or whatever our theme song is that we chose. We think it's a little bit Middle Eastern-y, but also kind of modern-y, which we hoped. A little bit funky. A little funky. That would set the right tone, we hope. too expensive. (laughs) Yeah, we had to worry about licensing. Well, it's always easier when it's the institution's money and not out of your pocket. But still, we had to. Exactly. (laughs) So, uh, juice to the end. It's hard to pay $2,000 for a bumper. That's true. Uh, If you've taken the course and you want to uh, join us in the Facebook group, which is still live, please let contact me. And the best way to contact us these days is our website which Alan mentioned at the beginning, juisrael.jerusalemu.org. And all of our contact information is there. Um, it, you can review the lessons in the course, either the current version of the course as it appears or last year's version of the course. We're going to be putting up links to other articles by unit. We ha- you can listen to our podcast directly there. You can also read and contribute to our blog. We're looking for people with... Uh, as many voices as possible to contribute to our blog, The Soapbox. That's why we called it that, because of the phrase standing on a soapbox. A place for you to uh, express your thoughts that deal with these topics. Um, So please feel free to send us through the contact system on the website, juisrael.jerusalemu.org, ideas of uh, blogs that you would like to post, and we'd be thrilled to post them. Uh, with that, I bid you a fond adieu. Until next time, bye bye from Jerusalem. The teacher's lounge. The teacher's lounge. Bye, Ellen. Bye bye. Thanks a lot.